Hey, hey, friends. Welcome to the Lens of Faith podcast. It's hard to believe that season five is here. I'm going to start out talking about one of the most important issues that matter to so many, but most importantly to God, and that is the fight for life. The ending of innocent life really does break the heart of God. A woman might think that her pregnancy was unplanned or maybe an accident, but God tells us in the Bible that, you know, He conceived us, He thought of us, He purposed us before we were even in our mother's womb. There is a purpose on why you were born, when you were born, the gender in which you were born. None of it is an accident. None of it is by chance. God has a specific purpose for each and everything that He does. Even in my own story, you know, I'm the oldest of eight children, And I remember my mom always sharing this powerful story growing up, that before she got pregnant, you know, God told her, trust me with birth control and you'll never be disappointed. So my mom never tried to prevent getting pregnant because she really took God at his word. So my mom first got pregnant when she was 20. But fast forward to now, she will tell you that God told her that she would not be disappointed and she really never has been. Today, I welcome a great friend of mine over 20 years to share her powerful adoption story. Joining us from California, Pastor Kim Rogers. Hey, Kim. Hi, you. Good to have you. I'm just excited to be talking to you today. I'm happy to be here and talk about our story. Me too. It's such a testimony. You know, we're here to talk about what matters to the heart of God, and that is life. God didn't just die for life. He also gives life. The Bible tells us that before we were formed in our mother's womb, that God knew us. He was very purposeful and he set us apart. Right, right, right. But you know, the enemy wants to lie to us and tell us to give up. He'll try to end our life when it starts in the womb. But if he can't, then he'll try at some other point in our life to get rid of us. You know, like the Bible says, you know, he is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is the father of lies. So everything in him, his purpose for existing is ultimately to end life. We know this to be true, right, Kim? When you just said, like, if he can't end it in the womb, he will try to end it when you're out. That made me think of all the suicide rates that have gone up with middle schoolers and high schoolers. Like he is after our children. And if he can't get to have these babies aborted before they come because they're made in God's likeness. There's so much potential and destiny and unique purpose in each one. Then he's coming after them at 10, 11, 12 and succeeding in getting them to end their lives over. Literally. I read about a teenager that committed suicide because their Snapchat streak was broken. Wow. Like he's finding ways to, to end those lives. Yeah, exactly. It's so sad. You know, if he can't get you in the womb, he'll get you as a teenager or at some other point, and he's making it easier and more socially acceptable to end your life. It's becoming easier. Like with this evil drug fentanyl, where you just take one pill and it can be deadly. And with the border crisis, you know, this drug is just flooding in and they say that there's enough to kill every single American. The devil will have you believing and blaming mental illness or depression, but it's really because you're believing the lies that he's been telling you. That's why I can preach from the mountaintops, girl. Captivate your thoughts every day. It's so key. And guard your eyes. You know, teenagers shouldn't even have smartphones. You know, they should not have all free access to the internet. Right, right, right. But that's a whole nother podcast. 
So Kim, as you know, we're in a critical time in history right now with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, an evil law that should have never even happened. Right now with what's going on, I just am dumbfounded by the media and how they they handle it, how they make what the court, actually what the Supreme Court is saying and saying, we don't think we should be making these decisions. We're going to put it to the states. We're calling it an, an infanticide bill. And then they're saying it takes away all of our choice and it gets all convoluted and it's very broken. And then you see a lot of anger and weird feminist sort of spirit come up that just is very attacking and really vile in a lot of ways. Yeah, no surprise there. All of Hill's upset right now because the enemy's goal is to end life, not to preserve life. But we serve a pro-life God. He is pro the mother, pro the unborn baby. In every way, God is pro-life. Yeah. When I think about pro-life, I, like you, believe that God chooses our gender, our eye shape, our hair color, our like he weaves us in the womb and there is purpose and destiny in that. And every life is sacred. And to think that a life is sacred at nine months, but not at six months doesn't make sense to me. A life is sacred when it, it comes together and it begins to grow. Like you can go buy a seeded plant at the nursery in your town and you know that this is going to grow into this, but you buy it as a seeded plant and it's already a plant to you. It's already a life, but yet there can be the growings of a human in someone's body and they don't see that as human life. It's the science and everything makes no sense. And then when you think about abortion and all that we know about how it's done and what like that, what is that justice for the five where they just found those um, aborted babies and like, you can't turn away from it. You can't ignore the reality that those are infants, that those are babies that have this potential, beautiful life. I know some women do it. You can say that's poverty or desperation, but I think a lot of women do it out of selfishness because they don't want to deal with it. And they don't want to think about that being a person. Um, they don't want to think about it being their responsibility. They don't want to be responsible for it. But statistically, the rates of depression and this almost post-traumatic stress that happens after abortion, there's so much proof that it's actually harming their emotional well-being to have these abortions that the way they cope with it after is not has not been great. So they'll parade on the news those that have had them and think it's great health care, but they won't talk to the women who have struggled, who then get married and then can't have children or feel the guilt of having this child, but they don't have a sibling. It's really awful. That's just another strategy from the evil one to convince women that they'll be better off, that they'll be happy if they do it, that there will be no regrets. But the truth is, I have spoken to so many different women after they had an abortion, and even 20, 30 years later, they still are carrying around this enormous amount of shame and regret because they had an abortion. You know, they think about when the baby was 10 or it could have been 20. You know, it's this constant what if and guilt that they carry. 
I mean, I have a friend in her late 50s, and she still feels uncomfortable even telling people that she got an abortion when she was younger. She hasn't even told most of her family, like her adult children. She still carries so much shame that when she actually told me for the first time, she was weeping as if it just happened. Well, this circles us back to what you said at the very beginning. If he can't kill him in the womb, he'll kill him another way. And where else does he use that lie that this is the easy way out? Right. Abortion, easy way out. Suicide, easy way out. He's all about this lie that this will just make, this is just the easy way to deal with it. When it is, that's so far from the truth. It's just a lie. Such a lie. And I wanted to say, if you are someone that has had an abortion, I break off any spirit of shame that you have carried all this time because God loves you and his forgiveness is enough. But so many of these women, if they can go back in time, would have never gotten that abortion. But this happens so many times when you're very young and naive and you're going through a lot emotionally that the enemy comes in and he tries to convince you that having a child is a burden. But really becoming pregnant is such a blessing from God. There are thousands of women and I even have personal friends that can't get pregnant where all they want is to be a mom. They're spending thousands of dollars on IVF and trying to get pregnant and trying to have somebody else carry a baby for them. They're going through all these hurdles, all these challenges because they want their own baby so bad. The beautiful alternative to abortion is adoption. Friend, you are definitely an adoption advocate. Especially with my situation, especially with adoption, especially with my daughter whose birth dad wanted her to be aborted. When I look at her, she's five and a half and effervescent and vibrant and wicked smart and amazing and sweet and compassionate. And to think she couldn't have been here. She wouldn't be here if, because he was 19 and he's like, I don't want it. That's so that's a sad. Isn't even the word it's heartbreaking because that's what I think abortion. A lot of it is built on is I don't want it. It doesn't really fit in my life. And God is like, but I made it. So especially with our situation, I, I couldn't be more for protecting the lives of these babies, all of them, because they are sacred and holy and made in God's image. And, and I think it's murder, honestly, when we when someone chooses to end that life, especially with what we're hearing about extending that time, there's the value of human life is coming down in the world. Um, and you can see that on many, in many avenues, but, uh, but abortion and this Roe v. Wade and all that, that is a huge part of it. Yeah. They're saying that you can end a baby's life after it's already born. I'm like, isn't that flat out murder? Yeah. They're saying if, if something, if it dies due to, and the way it's worded is like, oh, so if, if the baby's born and I just neglect it and don't feed it because I don't feel like it, then I'm not held accountable. And it's like, what the heck? Yeah, that's should be murder. But there's like this loophole in the wording that is That implies that if you neglect or you do something and there's loss of life up to however many weeks after that you cannot be held accountable. 
Wow. I mean, that is just straight up evil. I mean, it's one thing as a mother to not feel, you know, maybe connected to your baby in the womb, but once it's born and you're looking at it, you're holding it, how can you end its life at that point? And they say they're trying to protect women who have miscarriages because there are a few cases where a woman has done drugs, it kills her baby and she miscarries. And they're saying, we want to protect those women because it's then you're just putting, you're incarcerating them or you're, you're prosecuting them on top of their grief. If a man punches a pregnant woman and the baby dies, they call it murder. But if a woman ingests something that kills the baby, they protect the mother. So it's, there's different standards. Um, it's like magic, you know, don't look over here, like sleight of hand. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's pure evil. These clinics are just pushing the lie. You know, abortion isn't reproductive. It's destructive. Like planned parenthood is not trying to plan parenthood. They're out to destroy parenthood. Oh my gosh. Even the founder, Margaret Sanger, she was a complete racist. In fact, she would put clinics in the poorest of neighborhoods because she wanted to wipe out the black race. Yeah, yeah. She was uh, eugenics where you can sift out those that are unproductive or won't be a good part of society and Planned Parenthood's like, okay, we don't just, we don't agree with her anymore. So, you know, we're okay. We don't agree with her, but they're still doing the very same thing because it's still the poorest populations that use their services the most. And those are the babies that we're losing. Right. Right. So her plan is still happening, even though they want to distance themselves. It's, yeah, the roots of it are terrible, terrible. And I don't think they talk about that enough. Like, let's talk about what started this in the first place. Right. They don't talk about it, of course. And not to get too deep, but I really believe the reason they don't talk about it is because they use aborted babies for many things that bring them profit, like beauty products, you know, collagen, vaccines have been proven to use aborted babies. And that's why they have no value for life. All you have to do is follow the money. And anything that you see enough starts to dull your senses to it. Anyone watches, you watch the news for any amount of time, you start, it starts to dull your senses, but they are just, it becomes something on their spreadsheet for um, the supplies they need to get something done. And they might call it a scientific name. They might call it you know, something that isn't aborted fetus and it just becomes something that, oh, this just is what goes into this mix to make this and to help save this fetus could save thousands of lives because of the study. And it's like, well, that fetus had no choice to sacrifice itself for your study. Like there was no choice for that. And I think it's important to note that the reality is that with abortion, the dad of that child never has any say he does not, if the mom wants to get an abortion, the dad has no say, and that's his child. But because it's not seen as a child, the male part of the equation of making this child, he doesn't have any say in the life that he's created. And so where he might want to be a dad, he doesn't have a choice. She can abort the baby, even though that's his child. Wow. I didn't know that. I, I mean, that's mind boggling to me because it's his child. It's his seed. It's his, you know, his legacy, his, but it's just like, well, she doesn't want to have it. So 
he loses out. And I wish some of these 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, any young man, any man who's having sex with women who risks getting pregnant would understand that if she gets pregnant, you don't get to keep that baby if she doesn't want to keep it. Right. And I, and I wish that would be more a part of the dialogue because I think maybe more men would stand up and say, Hey, would maybe fight for justice for the babies, you know? Yeah. Kim, have you heard of Abby Johnson? Uh, no. Okay. Well, she used to be the director of Planned Parenthood. Well, as the director, you know, she basically sold abortions for a living. She was like a car salesman. I mean, they had a quota of how many abortions that she needed to schedule for the day. And she was at the top when it came to sales. She didn't really have any conviction when it came to abortion. In fact, she had many of her own. You know, this place is not trying to give you options when it comes to pregnancy, you know. This company is just a big money-making machine and makes billions of dollars. And there's so many companies, companies that we support that are actually funding Planned Parenthood. I mean, you just sent me an article from Starbucks, you know. They're adding abortion travel coverage to their benefits. If you have to travel more than 100 miles from your home to get an abortion, they will actually pay you. (laughs) I mean, this world is getting crazier and the devil's getting bolder. You know, as Christians, we need to speak up for what is right or who will. Yes. But anyways, back to Abby Johnson. You know, she was selling abortions for a living. She's the director of Planned Parenthood. So she would just work in her office and, you know, she was kind of disconnected from the procedures that would take place. But one day, the doctor that performed the abortions, his assistant was gone for the day, and he really needed an assistant. So he went to her office, and he asked her if she would come in and assist. So here she is, and I won't even tell you the details of the story. I mean, you can look her up on YouTube or something, but, you know, it's so graphic. It breaks my heart. I was crying when I heard this story. But she actually saw the baby as it was getting sucked out of its mother's stomach. She could see the baby on the screen fighting for its life. Wow. And it blew her mind because she was always told, you know, it doesn't have a soul. It doesn't have feelings. It's not even a baby yet. It's basically nothing. But when she saw that the baby was fighting for its life, it just wrecked her. She went home. She broke down in front of her husband. It changed her life. And now she is one of the biggest advocates for pro-life that there is. She fights for the unborn in every way. She's like my pro-life hero. It's just so powerful that it wasn't just, you know, somebody that was anti-abortion that this happened to. This was someone that actually was the director and she was deep in it. And she can relate because she's had her own abortions. That's what makes her such a force. Right, right. I just read an article from a nurse who was a nurse with Planned Parenthood. There was a a fetus that was still alive after it was aborted. And she was told to just go put it in the room where you go put them all. And she was so stricken. And she said, I held that little baby and just cried and held it until it passed so that it wouldn't be alone. And it was like this wake up call for her. Like this, this is not right. I feel like how could anybody working in those circumstances feel like it's right? Knowing what they do, knowing what they do. It's, 
It's terrible. It really is so sickening. Friends, you need to take heart. You know, sometimes these issues can seem overwhelming. How do we take a stand and fight for life? How do we make a difference? You might be asking, what can I do? The first part of Abby's story moved me, but it's what she said next that made me rise up and take action. So I was introduced to her and her story on the show that I watch. And she said that the last time that she was in a Planned Parenthood meeting before she quit working there, it was this huge conference. They made an announcement that when people stand outside of the clinics and they pray, up to 75% of the appointments are canceled that day. Just praying over the building is so effective in canceling appointments that it got announced at a conference. That sounds crazy. That's amazing. Talk about the power of prayer. Right, right. 75%. That's amazing. When she said that, the Holy Spirit jolted me and got my attention. And in that moment, I knew that I needed to lead the charge and do this. You see, before she said that, I thought that I would have to pick it or shout in order to make a difference. But when she said that, I said, I can pray over the building. I can stand on the sidewalk. You know, I can go to the clinics and pray. Right. When I was 16, I remember going with my dad in California and it was during this time where there was this whale that was in the news all the time, saved this whale, it was endangered species, you know, this whale. And I remember having a huge sign standing at the courthouse shouting, forget the whale, save the babies, you know. So I've always had a huge heart for the unborn, a huge heart for justice in general. I think for far too long, the majority of Christians, they stay silent. You know, we're just going to love and let God do all the work. Meanwhile, the enemy is making the most of every opportunity. But God is calling us to rise up, to stand up for justice, for truth, for our country, for such a time as this. And as long as you're being spirit-led and he is leading the charge with you, then what can man do to you? Nothing. So God just gave me a strategy that I was going to reach out to every single person I knew, even people I didn't know, you know, on social media, in my contact list. And I was going to invite me to go on a Friday afternoon just to pray over the largest clinic in my city. You know, and these are all pro-life people. And I thought I was going to get this huge response. But the truth is, everybody had excuses. They couldn't make it. I'm sure there were some people that really couldn't make it, but There were only a few that showed interest. I'm telling you, as soon as I said yes to God to lead the charge and do this, the spiritual opposition began. I remember I could barely sleep that night. I even woke up and I was like, God, do you want me to do this? Nobody's even confirming that they're going to go with me. I don't know if I want to do this by myself. As I was getting ready that morning, I still didn't have anyone confirm that they were going to go. And I started to feel discouraged, honestly. It was like a half an hour before I was supposed to leave. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, if nobody goes, will you still go? Wow. And in that moment, I said, yes, Lord, I will go. If I am the only one praying, I will go. Now, I'm not saying it was easy. I was really nervous. Of course, the enemy wanted to plant some fear in me and try to prevent me from doing this. Right. But as soon as I was about to leave... All of a sudden, three people confirmed that they were going to join me. So we get down there. I ended up going to the largest clinic. 
We start praying over the building. I'm walking around the building. I even laid my hands on it, you know. But get this, within a half an hour, the police showed up. You are kidding. You weren't yelling or picketing or doing blocking people? I know, right? I didn't shout at anyone. I didn't picket anyone. We were all peacefully just praying. Wow. And the lady in charge of the clinic came out upset. And I'm like, what do we do? You know, this is legal what we're doing, you know? And um, she looked straight at me and she said, we don't want you here. I was thinking like, of course you don't. The enemy doesn't want me here. (laughs) I mean, we were actually really quiet. It's not like we were shouting out loud, calling down heaven. You know, we were, you know, very respectful, but it was spiritual. You know, the Bible tells us that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities of darkness of the air, right? So that's what I was dealing with. I was dealing with the enemy. I was stirring up his territory and he didn't like it. So I was not intimidated by that. You press in. (laughs) I'll stay a little longer then. I'll show you what. (laughs) Exactly. The devil's just a mouse with a microphone. We just kept praying. We prayed for about a half an hour longer, and I felt released to go at that point. And I'm just telling you the story, friends, to tell you that you can do this. You can go to your local clinic. You can pray on the sidewalk. Don't be intimidated by the enemy. God will use you mightily if you just step out in faith and allow him to stir the hearts of people. I don't know what happened that day as a result, but I have a feeling that appointments were being canceled and we took ground that day. Yeah. Amen. That's so encouraging. I'll do that. I'll go to mine here and do that. Yes. You know, I would go with you. Yeah. I just feel like the world is missing out on doctors and musicians and artists and preachers and teachers and engineers and scientists and astronauts because of abortion. This beautiful, diverse tapestry of creation, bringing their voice to the table and their intellect and their skills and their giftings and their purpose. And it's like swiping out a whole generation. And I wish that my prayer is that things will turn around. Those people will have the opportunity to be born and grow and bring their voice to the planet, to um, our culture, to the world. And so it's just, when you think of the bigger picture, all of those futures gone, um, it's, that's another, it's a big picture. It's not just you aborting this one baby. It's the same thing. It's not just an adoption where it's you and the baby. It has this ripple effect. It's not just, the abortion where you're getting rid of this baby, you're impacting who that would have been and the lives they might've saved with that cure or what their great, great grandchild would have accomplished had they been allowed to live and thrive on this earth. Yeah. That reminds me of, you know, Steph Curry, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. He's bold about his faith. He's a family man. You know, his mom actually almost aborted him. I was listening to an interview that she had recently where she shares that she was actually in the clinic about to have an abortion, and at the last minute, she decided not to. You know, and she says if she would have gone through with it, there would be no Steph Curry, that God had a plan for him, 
And as she was waiting for her appointment, she knew the Spirit was interceding for her in that moment in such a way that she didn't even know in the moment what was happening. But she really credits it to the purpose of faith and God stepping in. You know, instead of abortion, you know, mothers can choose life. They can choose adoption. And that's exactly what you did. You actually adopted about six years ago, even though you already gave birth to two of your own children. Why did you choose adoption? Um, Well, I had my second child, my daughter, when I was 38. Um, I have a 16-year-old named Noah and a 13-year-old named Faith. And in the years following, I just didn't feel like my family was done. And I felt, honestly, I can call it envy. It was jealousy. Whenever a friend or the worship leader at church or somebody else would be pregnant because I knew I would never be pregnant again. And part of that was because I had severe postpartum depression with both Noah and Faith. And for my own health and family, we knew that that was just not going to be a good idea. And so I just tried to find peace in where we were at, even though I didn't feel done. And then one night uh, we supported our local um, Christian pregnancy centers that offered support and help to young moms who didn't know what to do when they found out they were pregnant. And we went to a fundraiser and there was somebody there speaking from Long Beach who was talking about abortion and the sanctity of life and everything. And it was so moving. And he came and talked to a friend of mine who I found out years before was picketing, would picket Planned Parenthoods and stuff with him. And one day a girl chose not to have an abortion and asked this friend, will you adopt my baby? And that had been like 20 years before. And she had said, yes. So there was an ongoing joke because he said to her that night, I have another one for you because he ran a home for young pregnant moms, not to adopt out their babies, but just to give them support, food, education, whatever they needed. And when he said, I have another one for you, it was a long running joke for them. I was like, I want that baby. And I had never thought of adoption until that point. I was like, I want that baby. In fact, I may have said once, like, Lord, if we're supposed to adopt, but it was never something that I didn't grow up saying, I'm going to adopt someday. I was just like, I need that baby. And that birthed something that was a plan that was in God's heart from the beginning of time, but it entered my heart that night. It entered my heart that night. And that night I told Darren that this is, this was really powerful for me. And this is what, when he said that I wanted that. So I said, will you pray? Because if we're supposed to adopt, I want to do that. But will you pray? And if this is the Lord, he'll tell you to. And if it's not, you know, that's fine. So let's just fast and pray and see what God wants to do with this. And so we began fasting and praying to see, God, is this what you have for us? And after several days, he and I were out to dinner and he sent me a text across the table And I opened it up and it was a poop emoji and a baby bottle. And it said, I'm all in. And I was like, what are we going to do this? You know, it was like, okay, okay, well, what do we do now? And he said, he said, but I feel like God told me we aren't supposed to go through an agency. And I said, Darren, I don't know how to explain it, but I felt the same thing. So 
God is going to bring us a baby in a way that we'll know it's him. And that's how this baby's going to come to us. And we both knew in our heart, it was going to be a girl named destiny. So we just began this walk of faith where we started filling out paperwork, you know, like, okay, well, let's get, let's do the, the house, you know, where they come and they look at your house and they check to make sure you're good parents. Cause we're like, we're going to adopt the baby. So let's make sure the state of California is all set so that when God brings us this baby, we can adopt this baby. So we finished up that, that event was in June. In October, we started filling out all the paperwork, got approved of everything in January. And then in January, something shifted in my home. And I was like, by the way, we look crazy to everyone at this point because we're telling everyone we're going to adopt and they say what agency. And we say, we're not using an agency because God told us he's going to bring us the baby. And so we're just going to see how he does that. And so it was a complete faith walk. All of it was faith walk. So I'm like, in January of that year, I'm like, there's a shift. Like, there's a baby coming. And um, I started having dreams. My daughter started having dreams. So I'm like, let's go to Joanne's and pick out some fabric. We're making a blanket. So I came home and I just started making a blanket and praying and praying for this mom and for this baby and for this mom and for this baby, which by the way, destiny was conceived that week. Wow. When I did the backward calendar, she was conceived that week. So I work on this blanket. So I'm like, there's a baby coming. There's a shift in the house. I can feel it. There's a baby coming. So then um, a couple of weeks later, I was like, we need a minivan. Darren, there's a baby coming. And he goes, you just got out of your minivan. Cause my, I'd, I'd finally gotten out of those minivan years. And I was like, I know we need a minivan. There's a baby coming. So we sold my car, bought a minivan, no baby, no agency, no baby, bought a minivan. I took a picture of the back seat, boom, posted it. I'm like, this is where my baby's going to be. This is where my baby girl destiny is going to sit in the back of my van. So um, we had that picture. And then one day I'm at church and somebody walks up to me who had been in one of my Holy Spirit classes. And he says, I saw you during worship. And the Lord wanted me to tell you, you're a woman of destiny and destiny's coming sooner than you think. Wow. Nobody knew about our adoption. Nobody knew about destiny at church. So I'm like, what, what? God is on this, you know, like prophetic words. I'm like, God is speaking. This is happening. Um, and then I had this heart issue and I had to get an ultrasound on my heart and the ultrasound machine they use is the same one they use when you're pregnant. And when you have a pregnancy ultrasound, there's lots of gel and clicking sounds and they're moving it around. So she's doing this ultrasound on my heart to look at it and tears just start going down the side of my face. And I said, look, I know this is going to sound crazy, but two nights ago, I told my husband and I want to adopt. And a couple nights ago, I told my husband, this baby has already been born in my heart and I love her. And I said, I think this is our first ultrasound of my baby. Could you print it out for me? And she labeled like they do on a pregnancy one, right? Atrial valve or whatever. And she printed it out. And when I got out to the parking lot, I took a picture and well, Darren, this is our baby. This is, this is the ultrasound of our baby, which I still have up. You know, it was in the nursery that I'll tell you about. So then, um, we stuff keeps going and I'm like, we need a nursery, Darren, you got to move your office. We need a nursery. There is a baby coming. There's still no baby. There's still no agency, but we know it was like the, the cloud, the size of the fist of my hand where I'm like, there's a storm coming. I'm like, there's a baby coming. We moved Darren's office downstairs. We go to Ikea. We go to babies R us. We've complete a full nursery. The kids are helping build the crib. 
we are just done. So we finish a nursery on a Friday. That weekend, I call that pastor that spoke at that event because he knew that we wanted to adopt. And I'd asked him to pray because he was such a pro-life advocate. And he said, you know that I don't, we don't adopt our babies. Like, and I said, no, I, I know that. I'm just calling to ask you to pray because God is moving. And he said, here's what I'm going to tell you to pray. He said, ask the Lord for a harvest because you and your husband have sown into families. You have sown into ministries for families. You've sown into children. Ask God to harvest all the sowing that you've done into families and children. So that's what I began to pray. Three days later, I was at a coffee shop and that pastor called me and he said, Kim, you're never going to believe this. He said, a young woman just walked into our offices and she said, I want to place my baby for adoption, but only with a Christian family. And she'd like to talk to you. Come on. And I'm like, okay. So um, I drove home. My husband and I got on the phone and with this girl, she was 19. Her boyfriend was 19. He was in with drugs and everything. He had wanted her to get an abortion. Her, her home life was very broken. She had nowhere to go, which is how she ended up at this place. No real support at all. And we talked to her and she said, I know I cannot get an abortion. I know that's not right. We heard her story. And three days later after that, her and her best friend drove up from Long Beach and spent the night in the nursery that we had completed. And we took her to church with us and she asked us if we would adopt her baby. And so um, our daughter, Destiny, was born. And one thing I love to say is my husband and I were on a, one of his business trips when we were in this period of waiting by faith. And I sat next to a couple on this trip and, and I was telling them about our story because I love it. It's such a faith journey. And even someone who doesn't know the Lord, you start talking about doing things by faith and it's like tilts them. But you're like, no, this is how we live when you, when you know God, you know? And she goes, well, what if God doesn't bring you a baby? And I was like, oh no, he's bringing us a baby. Like I had the assurance, you know, like the assurance of things not seen. I knew that I knew that I knew he was going to do this. Yeah. And um, the next year we took a six week old baby destiny back to that same trip. And I could sit with that woman and say, remember when we talked and I told you about how God was going to bring me a baby. This is her. This is destiny. And this is what God does, you know? And so um, it was a world that God always saw for me because God loves adoption. I mean, if you think about it, Jesus was adopted. Like Joseph's like, yes, that's my son. You know, like there's this, there's so many beautiful covenants of adoption throughout scripture. And so he had that in mind from the beginning. I just didn't know about it. And then he did it in this really supernatural, miraculous way. I'm sure I'm even missing parts of the story that are so incredible for how he did it. It was just really beautiful. And she wouldn't be here if the birth mom had listened to the birth dad, if he had had his way, because it would have been easier. She would think in her mind to just not carry this baby and then give it to someone else. But the beautiful relationship we have, she now has another daughter and our daughter's FaceTime. And 
she sends me Mother's Day gifts and cards and I send her gifts and we just, she lives in another state and we just have this beautiful relationship. Both of her parents have passed in the last five years. So I'm like this pastoral mama to her and I absolutely love it. And I love our relationship and I'm so proud of the woman she has become because she was willing to do the hard thing because I think she'd be very broken if she had aborted and then she would have had this other daughter. And I think she would have thought this is what I did. You know, like there's almost like a post-traumatic stress that women can go through. So God was faithful and did what he said he was going to do. And, and it's amazing. Wow. 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 Kim, what a beautiful and powerful testimony of not only adoption, but what it looks like to walk in genuine faith. I have to say, my favorite part of your adoption story is that you believe that God would do what he said he would do. And not only did you believe, but you prepared for it, you know, when it looked impossible or crazy, like how you knew that it was going to be a girl named Destiny. You know, you took pictures of your minivan, you made blankets, you even built a nursery without any evidence in the natural that a baby was coming. You announced it to others, you told them the story with full confidence and assurance in God's promises. To everyone else, it might have looked foolish, but you 100% believed God before you saw any evidence in the natural. You know, I'm living that life of faith, so I understand. I know. I know. It's a crazy faith where you look crazy. I would say this is like Noah's Ark. We are building a crib in a nursery with no rain. And we're going to tell, and I would post it. I would put it out there. Like, this is what we're doing because I wanted it to be a testimony. When it happened, people would go, she said, that's, that's what God told her. But in the natural, we were adopting with no agency. How do you get a baby with no agency? Like that's impossible. Somebody just hands one to you, but God did it. And that's what he did. He did it. But I had such a knowing such an assurance that I know you understand, like, no, this is what God said and he's going to do it. And if somebody said, what if he doesn't, it was like that. It was not any, a part of the equation. It was like, of course he's going to do it. But I had the assurance, like I knew he had spoken so clearly to me that it was just going to happen, you know? And really that is faith that pleases the Lord. You know, it's one thing to say that you believe in God and his promises, but really, the evidence that you trust in God's word is that you want to tell everybody about it. You know, you want to prepare for it. You want to get ready for it because you know it's just a matter of God's perfect timing before those things come to pass. Now, that's a faith that changes lives and marks history. Yeah. Do you have any words of encouragement for those that are considering adoption? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I can think of a couple things. Number one, Jesus has to be your anchor. That's the only way you can do it. Because no matter how your journey goes, it's not butterflies and rainbows. And it's, it, there, it's, it's not that. Um, there are challenges because you're so intimately invested in this and your dreams and visions for what you see to happen. And you know that ultimately, I mean, those decisions are God, but when the moment you see those decisions in the hands of a, of a woman or an agency or however you're doing it. So a few things. First, I want to say 
I have known several women who want to adopt and expand their family and their husbands say no. And then they pray and ask the Lord to change their heart. And they do. And now they have more children. So um, if there's a woman listening, that's like, I really am not done with my family, but my husband doesn't want anymore. If you feel like that's what the Lord has for your family to pray about it, pray for your spouse to hear and pray for your spouse to have his heart turned and pray for God. Like God, if that's what you have for us, please show him pray for that. But if you are considering adoption and want to start that process right now, make Jesus your anchor and commit to just clinging to him because there will be waves and there will be times where you're going to have to believe in the dark, what you heard in the light, um, because there are challenges. And I would say, hang out with families who have adopted who can share their stories and that can walk it out with you and intercede for you and pray for you as you go through the journey. Jesus has to be your anchor. You have to cling to what he's told you. You have to cling to his goodness. You have to cling knowing even if something happens, he's got you because it is not for the faint of heart. But if it is something you have longed for, if it is something that God has put in your heart, then go for it and trust him and trust the process and stay in the word cling to him, keep your hope in him and know that it is all worth it. It's all worth it. It's a journey that you will cling to Jesus like you never have, but it's so beautiful and it's just amazing. I I just, that would be my advice. Get around people who've adopted so you can hear their stories and you have people in your corner because people that haven't adopted, they can encourage you, but they won't understand the journey you're on. And someone who's adopted understands the journey you're on and can pray you through the, the times that feel scary. I want to also, for somebody who's thinking of adopting, if this has worried you, I felt like I wanted to say this. You can be afraid, especially if your birth mom's young, that if you know the birth mom, that you're her mother. And then that adopted baby is like a granddaughter because of if it's a young, at least that's what I was worried of. But the minute that destiny was born, she went into my mom pocket where she was my daughter and her birth mom went into this pocket where I just knew I was going to be a pastoral, like spiritual mama to her and love her. But destiny was my daughter all the way and felt like my daughter from the beginning. Um, because you wonder like, if I adopt this baby, will I feel like their mom? Yes. You 100% feel like their mom. Um, and it's incredible how God does all of that, you know? Yeah. That would be my, my words of wisdom. Thank you. You know, that reminds me that, you know, we have a mutual friend who also adopted, you know, she couldn't get pregnant. She really wanted to have a baby and some adoptions actually fell through. It was a very difficult time in her life, but God blessed her with a son that I'm telling you, he couldn't have done it any better. This boy is perfect for her and her husband. So we really have to trust God, you know, beyond adoption in every area of our life. His ways are higher and his timing is perfect. And you know, her adoption was another thing where God put his hand in because they were just living their lives. They were just praying about, are we going to try again? Because it was, it was scary. Meanwhile, I'm at home getting a call from a friend saying a friend that I have works with a young woman who's pregnant and who's 21 weeks and is going to go get an abortion. What do we do? Can she talk to you? So then I talked to the woman that works with this girl 
And then I can talk to this girl and say, have you considered adoption? And then I'm texting our friends. Are you still open to adoption? Because I might have this person who wants to adopt. She was going to go get an abortion. She at 21 weeks, she canceled her appointment, said, will you adopt my baby? They weren't working with somebody and going, somebody wasn't flipping through a book, looking for people. It was God taking this young mom and this couple and using me as like a midwife and saying, let's put these together. You never know what God is working out here when you're going on your way. He is working something out that you don't see. And they didn't see that coming. None of us did. But then look what God did. And I love their little family. I love their family so much. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was just another case of God. Like, okay, I have this son for you, you know? Yeah. I mean, both of your stories really boost my faith. I mean, I have watched God work out like every single detail. I mean, all of it. And just to be a witness to that, to join you both in prayer and to believe with you and then watch God do what he did. You know, it's so encouraging. God knows exactly what we need and his ways and timing are really perfect. And he's so trustworthy. I wanted to ask you, what is the most important life lesson that adoption has taught you? Our adoption story, and really many adoption stories, is that God is working in levels that we aren't aware of. God is interested in working in the present. He's redeeming things of the past, you know, that, and there's, there's connections and networks to relatives and family and redemption and healing and influence that he does in adoption. And he's always working in our lives in that way, not just with adoption. He is looking back and redeeming things. He's looking ahead. He's connecting you with people in your lives. With Destiny, both of my kids were mama's kids, like mama's boy, mama's girl. They just wanted mama more than anything. Destiny favored Darren. And that was really hard for me. That was, that was scary. That was hard for me. Like she smiled first for him and there was just something sweet and special. And I was jealous of it. And, and part of it was we both, we shared almost equally the feeding of her because there was no nursing. It was formula. And, um, so one night I was just holding her and feeding her and I was crying and I was like, God, I am struggling. If she loves Darren more than me, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like he was fine with the kids being mama's boys. I was not fine with, if she was going to be a daddy's girl, right? And the Holy Spirit spoke so calmly and clearly to me. I will never forget it. And he said, I am redeeming decades of paternal neglect and abuse through this relationship. Wow. Like there is purpose. Decades of father abuse and father neglect through the birth mom's line. I'm redeeming it with this relationship with this daughter and father. And I was like, okay. From that point on, I was like, that is okay, Lord. I just thought like, he wasn't just seeing our relationship with our daughter. He was like, yeah, this is great. How about as she's grafted into your family, I just go ahead and heal up some stuff from the past, you know, 50 years. And I make sure that she doesn't carry that. Wow. God is such a God of the bigger picture. 
Yes, that's what I mean. He is. I'm going to make sure that she has a dad that is for her and she never doubts that he loves her and that she never feels neglected. And that, I mean, it's just the coolest, um, it's the coolest thing. And then being an open adoption, like having this beautiful spiritual mentorship with her birth mom that I love. Again, it was not, it's not just about us and our new baby. It's about this beautiful young woman and her little family that she's begun and how I've been able to watch her just blossom into this. I mean, she was rough at 19. She was broken and hurting and spiteful and angry. And sometimes I would just have to put her on block and be like, Lord, just love her, love her. And I would just tell her, God's called me to love you. God's called me to love you. And when my love runs out, I've got God's love to pour through me and continue loving you. But man, she has blossomed into the most amazing. She's kind and thoughtful. And I'm so proud. I'm so proud of her. We actually have a March for Life coming up. So I want to go and have some sort of sign that has Destiny's picture that says, you know, this is the product of choosing life. Yes, I recently met the founder of March for Life. That organization is amazing. Well, friend, this has been a heavy hitter. Such a powerful message. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you for having me and letting me just speak into these issues. It's an honor. I always consider it an honor when I can share Destiny's story because it's all a God thing. Yes, to God be all the glory. Kim, there might be some women listening today that are carrying shame from past abortions or struggling with their unwanted pregnancy or women that want to be a mom and can't get pregnant and want to adopt. As we wrap up, would you pray over these women? Pray for each woman, Lord, who is who has just been under this mountain of shame. And I just pray for you to reach into their heart with your grace your love and your forgiveness. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would lift that burden off of them so that they could see the light, so that they could see you, so they could look into your eyes and know that you were saying, I see you, I love you, I forgive you. For Satan to not be able to take another moment from them because he will rob from you for the rest of your life if you allow it. But if you put yourself at God's feet, and just say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm sorry. He forgives you and loves you. And you can, he separates that from as far as the East is from the West. And you can move beyond that into the plans and the purposes that he has for you. And God, I pray for any woman who's been considering abortion. It just feels like, just feel stuck. And they feel like nobody would understand. And they feel like they can do this and no one would ever have to know. And they could just move on with their life. I ask God that you would speak to them so clearly. You would speak, number one, your love for them. God, I pray that you would move away Satan's plans and what he's whispering to them, completely clear that out so that they could hear only your voice. I pray that you'd give them courage, that they would be brave and do the right thing and protect that life inside of them because it is life with purpose and destiny in Jesus name. And we pray God that Roe versus Wade would be overturned 
I pray, God, for protection of our babies. I pray for a a mind shift for all of the population to see the unborn as people, to see the unborn as humans, to see them as having value and and that the celebration of those for life and that love you and your creation would be louder and more visible than anything else. And God, I pray for each person listening that has been considering adoption or even just from this, listening to this podcast is is thought, maybe we are to adopt. God, I pray that your voice would be so clear to them and that you would walk them into this journey. They would know they are hearing you, that you would confirm your plans, confirm your word, that you would give them favor at every turn, that you would give them wisdom on what they're supposed to do, that you would give them the finances necessary, that you would line them up where they need to be for the child that you have for them. I pray for more people to step in and adopt and foster and finally go, okay, I'm going to do it, that they would be brave, and courageous and step in, um, grow their family in these beautiful ways. I pray that you would be their anchor, that you would be their calm in the storm, that you would be their courage and you would be their help. Holy Spirit, speak to those that you are drawing to this and give them peace and just a knowing that you are with them in Jesus name. Amen. Love you, friend. I love you too. Make sure to subscribe to get all the blog and podcast updates at leahmariecarson.com. Follow on Instagram at The Lens of Faith. And be sure to subscribe to The Lens of Faith podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google. Remember, friends, life becomes clearer when you focus through the lens of faith. Talk to you soon. Thank you.